Welcome back to Break Through the Noise. Here with John Morrow, we are back after an extended hiatus, and this time with a really special interview with one of the top YouTubers on the web. So if you've ever wondered about how to grow a YouTube channel, and you've wondered about how to create the best content, this interview is going to be right up your alley. We're speaking with Ed from Film Birth and Creator Birth, two different brands you can find on YouTube. And uh, Ed is the man. Behind the scenes, everyone goes to Ed for critiques on exactly how to grow their YouTube channel. Hear the intro, and then we will dive right in. I'm John Morrow, and this is Breakthrough the Noise. A podcast about rising above all the noise out there, all the endless ads and content and notification, and get people to pay attention to you. Not just for a moment, not just for one poster video. On this podcast, you'll learn how to create lifelong fans who hang on your every word so you never have to break through the noise again. So, Ed, wonderful to have you here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so today I'm looking forward to really diving in deep on content on YouTube specifically. For everyone who isn't familiar with Ed, he has a fabulous channel over at Film Booth on YouTube. I've watched nearly every video, learned a ton over the past few months. And so I thought I would invite him here to the show and, and I could selfishly pick his brain here and we could dive deep and get nerdy on, on YouTube. So yeah, thanks for being here. No worries. So. One of the things I'd really like to dig in and better understand, because I think for anyone who understands marketing and understands building a brand online, one of the most intimidating parts of YouTube is just the idea of how do I go from idea to finished video and all of the different pieces that are a part of that process. So I thought it might be helpful. I mean, number one, just to start with your process, like when you're figuring out, when you're deciding what, what you want to create a video about, you know, how do you choose your topics all the way to finish video on the end? Yeah, so there's, there's many different ways to do this. There's the full flat version, which is very intimidating. And then there's the sort of like, I would say more beginner version. However, due to the competition on YouTube now, it's becoming less likely you'll get anywhere without the full fat version. So I'll give you the full fat version. What yeah. I go through from idea to the finished piece. And it all starts with a goal, really. So when you're making a video, sometimes videos might take me a few months because I'm actually doing some sort of challenge. So not necessarily the, the, the creative process, but I'm actually having to do something to then document. 
So if you're doing that, you need to really be thinking to yourself, well, what is going to be the goal of this video? What do I want it to achieve? Because as a business, time is not as it's not something in an abundance. So it needs to pay off in some way, shape, or form. So I have different goals. So the first goal might be just as simple as I just want to continue to grow the subscriber base, the community, with the aim of monetizing that in some way, shape, or form down the line, or from existing products. So that's that's a simple goal. Another goal might be, and you only really have this luxury as a larger channel, is just to bring the community back, return viewers. So smaller channels who have no community, it's not really an option. They're just trying to grow their channel so they can build a community. So that's option two. Option three might be sales. I might say, okay, I need to use this video as an ad of some sort to drive sales to a product. Or it might be something like to fill up my email list. Or if you're feeling really greedy, it's a mixture of them all. So the first place to start is the goal. If you don't have a goal for your video, you can't really achieve anything. And I think it's kind of the first trap people fall into is, oh, I just need loads of views. It's definitely not the case. So for example, if I want loads of views, I'll talk about a YouTuber. And that YouTuber might have a following that's got a very large following, but only 5% of that following is right for my business. So I could get lots of views, but attract potentially the wrong kind of people for the business. So you kind of have to balance it up. So that's step one. Like, so I would guess in your case, like one example would be like if you made a video about Mr. Beast, that may get a ton of views, but not there's only a small percentage of Mr. Beast's audience who would be interested in creating a YouTube channel. That's right. So I've, I've stopped making videos about Mr. Beast now because <laughs> I looked at my analytics and when I looked at it after I made a video about him, it did great. It was all the completely wrong demographic age range for who I'm making content for, really. I specifically tailor to educational YouTubers. So most, most people talk about the entertainment stuff. I'm there for the educators and the entrepreneurs. So that audience, although it made the numbers tick up, the sales did not. And then I can make a video with the significantly less views that drive way more sales because it's the right kind of audience. It's the right information. And then I can talk about things that resonate with businesses or the avatars that I'm looking to sort of build relationships with rather than the 14-year-olds. <laughs> so outsiders looking in, they might go, oh, well, that did well. And it's like, yeah, it grew the channel, the community. But for my own personal goals, it maybe didn't achieve anything at all. It could have potentially been detrimental. So... You know, we don't want to lose focus on just thinking we need views. For businesses in particular, you know, the guys that just want ad revenue, they do just need lots of views. For me, business and you know, the business side of things needs the right viewers. It's traditional marketing. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that if I posted funny videos of my dog, I would get more traffic. But that that wouldn't build any authority or That's right. anything along those lines. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, if you go really wide from your niche, that makes sense. Sometimes people actually don't realize that they're making stuff for what they consider to be the right target audience. And then they realize they're actually building the wrong audience. So it is actually a, a quite an easy mistake to make sometimes. And then YouTube can push your content really wide and you get all sorts of strange comments. But that's the first step is the goal. You've got to have something to aim for. Otherwise, you don't know if your time and effort has been worthwhile. And I guess a, from what you're saying, it sounds like, a step that even is sort of a prerequisite for that is you need to know exactly who you're targeting. Yeah. And that's actually, this, you know, that, that is one of the most important things about YouTube. So 
for the guys that have ever hired a marketing company, usually a marketing company, the first thing they should do is go, right, who are your avatars? And if you don't have any, let's build them up. So it's exactly the same sort of process marketing companies go through businesses. They say, what are your goals? Who are your avatars? Where do they hang out? What are they interested in? How do we appeal to them? YouTube's the same. So once you've established your goal, I then think to myself, right, which one of my avatars do I want to appeal to the most? Do I want to appeal to all of them? And I think then about the idea that will help me appeal to those avatars so I can achieve my goal. So ideas come in many different shapes and sizes. And what I like to do at the ideas stage is not overcomplicate it too much because it does get a bit more complex in a minute. But I'll say my idea is, I know from talking to my clients, there's this massive problem. No one's any good at making thumbnails. And they don't realize it. They think their thumbnails aren't the problem. So I want to make a video that addresses that. That's the idea. And I know it will appeal to the avatars. Which brings us on to the massive problem. And this is pretty much why I'd say 90% of the YouTubers I work with don't grow is because they don't address this next issue. So an idea is not interesting by default. And the next stage of the process is what I call the presentation round. So we have to take that idea and work out how to make it as interesting as possible or different and what sort of video to make. So for example, if it's thumbnails and no one's clicking on their videos, do I make a mistakes video? Do I say the biggest mistakes that stop people clicking on your videos? Do I make a challenge where I say, I changed my thumbnail 1,000 times to see what, yeah, to try and grow my channel. Uh, is it a story? Is it a case study of someone else who did something? So I'll think about it and be like, what's the best way that I can present this idea? And this is often where the businesses in particular need to think. Because if I turn it into a challenge that take, means I have to go off and actually do something, it could take me three months to make this. If I'm short on time, I'll make a mistakes video because I can assess. There's no research. There's no work. I just say out of experience, don't do this, don't do this, don't do that. So it's the idea and then the way that you make it, which then leads us on to how you package that idea. So the packaging is very important. It's how do I make a title and a thumbnail image that people will click on? And it kind of, it's like part two of the presentation round. Because if it's a mistakes video, that's going to dictate the title and the type of thumbnail. If it's a challenge video, that's going to dictate the title and the thumbnail as well. So here I spend an insane amount of time. So making a YouTube video to me is an iceberg. It's that old iceberg metaphor. All of the work is the bit no one sees. And that includes filming and actually editing, although it takes a long time, probably isn't the longest bit of this process. The longest part of the process is how on earth do I get anyone interested in this idea? Because although <laughs> when a video pops up on the homepage on YouTube and it pops up next to the favorite, their favorite creators, because YouTube shows everyone different content on the homepage and it's usually the stuff they've been watching. How do I make an educational YouTube video more interesting than, like you said, a funny dog or a cat or the most entertaining creators in the world? And in order to do that, I have to understand what makes my viewers click and what visually sticks out to them and what they find interesting. So this is a massive battle. And this is pretty much why a lot of people don't grow on YouTube and fail because they're not willing to put the time in here. It's very frustrating because it's not a case of saying how to grow. This video is called how to make better thumbnails. It's boring. No one's clicking on that. You've really got to sort of get inside your viewer's head. 
So once I've come up with a rough title, and I'll usually write between 20 and 40 different versions of the title, I'll pick a few. And then I I head over to my Discord and I whack it in there. I have like a graduate's Discord for students that have been through like a program. And I get their feedback, which one you click on, because I've got a room in my avatars there, super handy. And I'll do the same with the thumbnail. I'll make 20 different versions of the thumbnail image. They might only be, say, three different looking thumbnails, which all have a slight tweak to them. It might just be the text is a bit bigger on it. The color of my t-shirt's changed in it. And I'll be looking for the one that sticks out the most. And again, I'll put that in my Discord and I'll say, which one are you guys clicking on? And often it'll be none of them. Go back and start again. Because <laughs> it's such a tricky thing to do. So once I've done that, and I'm looking at it and I think, do you know what? Based on my goal, I think this thumbnail and title will get the clicks to help me achieve it. I'll then start preparing the video. There's just no point planning a video until you do this now. Because if no one clicks, you're going to waste weeks, hours, money, whatever, right? It's gone. So I'll start planning. And my planning process is incredibly in-depth. But really, if you simplify it down, you just need to be planning a couple of things. The intro is probably where I spend 75% of the time when making a, uh, planning a video. And how to set something up that the viewer really wants to stick around for. And then you want to plan the order in which you present your information. So YouTube wants people to watch your content for a long time. Ideally, one video after the other. So it's not just about keeping and watching. It's about creating experience that makes them want to click your next video too. So you need to structure the information so that you don't give them too much straight away because they'll get bored and they'll be overly satisfied too early. But you also need to make sure you don't tease them too much because they get frustrated. There's a fine line there. So in the planning stage, I'm always thinking, okay, how do I write an introduction that hooks them? And then what order do I put the information in to make it so that they want to stick about as long as possible? And then once I've done that, I then start to think about planning the content, bullet pointing the whole thing out. And I'll look at it and I'll usually think, right, that's incredibly boring. Next step is how do we make this really boring, dry message about clicking images interesting? So I'll start to think of a story to use or a challenge or some way of presenting this information in a significantly more interesting way because I do not believe that many people are incredibly interested in the intricate details of growing a YouTube channel. There are a lot of people who are, but there's a lot of people starting out who they're just dipping their toe in the water and actually you have to cater for them too because if you just cater for the people that are obsessed with the finer detail the retention, the watch times are going to crash because all of those new people and the ones that aren't as invested in it, which is a much larger audience, they're going to bail. So you then have to make a video that somehow appeals to the experts, the intermediates, and the beginners. And this is often where people go wrong. They either go in too deep and they scare off the majority of the audience, which don't understand what they're talking about, or they go... It's kind of too light and the experts go. So it depends who you're after. And telling a story is how you satisfy this and make everyone happy. You can tell an interesting story that still educates the experts, the beginners and the intermediates all listen to it because it's not just about the information. It's about getting to the end of the story to find out what happens. So that's why stories are a very powerful tool. And ideally, I'll try and weave some kind of story into my pretty traditional YouTube education. And then I'll start writing. And I start writing the content. 
and I write the whole thing. And then I usually go back to the start and I, again, tell myself this is boring. And I say, you need to make this more interesting. So I keep going through planning shots, ideas. And I usually do that a couple of times. And then I will read it out to James, who works for me. And we'll have another round where his incredibly unusual creative mind kicks in and he comes up with all kinds of peculiar creative things to add to the content, things to make it funnier. We write it and then we get it shot. So the shooting part's pretty easy. It's usually me just presenting to camera, but I also had a lot of footage on top, B-roll, and visual storytelling to make my script work. And then it goes to the edit. And the edit, again, is just another chance of telling myself, this is too boring. You as an editor need to make this more interesting now to make sure that you make people want to get to the end and that your story works. And then I edit it, and then, yeah, I post it. So like I said, (laughs) for many businesses, that's just an insane amount of work. And I owned a production company for a few years. Um, I think we did about 14,000 talking head videos for businesses. And I learned that many of them don't have the time or budget to put into the, not just like making video, but the time in planning it to get a result. So for entrepreneurs and businesses wanting to get into YouTube, it's a heck of a lot of work, but there is this gigantic payoff if you do it properly. But as more and more people come in, you know, my planning system might sound over the top. And depending on how competitive your niche is, it might be, but actually that's the kind of work you want to be putting in to build a really solid community and to grow a really strong personal brand on YouTube now. So that's my process. Very good. So let's go back. And if you don't mind, what I'll do is I'll take this apart and we'll talk about different components and different questions I think entrepreneurs may have about this. So there are a few broad stages here. I mean, one is coming up with the idea that's super interesting (laughs) to your audience. That's one thing because you're not just competing against other people in your space. You're competing against everyone on the homepage. Is that right? And and so you've got to come up with something interesting enough to get that click. And in the case of something like YouTube thumbnails versus cat videos, that can actually be difficult to do. So that's kind of step one is this idea. And then there's choosing the right framework, playing it out, scripting it out. I mean, it's kind of the whole, I mean, I guess kind of like in a movie, you have a screenwriting process that happens before the film even gets greenlit to go into production. And so that's kind of what you're doing. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah. I, I script 100%. I, unless it's like a vlog where I'm mixing it in with a script, but everything is very highly planned. If I go off and I do a challenge and I'm, I'm filming a fly on the wall style, that will be intermingled with a video that has a script to make sure that the vlog works with the rest of the content. Got it. And so from there, then you have the actual part that most people mistakenly start with, which is <laughs> recording the video, editing the video, doing all of, all of those things. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, being a YouTuber is not so much about making videos anymore, but it's more about getting inside people's heads and working out how to get them to click 
and then how to keep and watch him. And you need to do a lot of that unless you're very well practiced at it before you start. So I appreciate if you just need to get started and you want to dip your toe in, maybe you just put the camera on, but then most people struggle and they're like, oh, I don't know what to say. And then they watch it back and they go, oh, this isn't very good. And it's like, yeah, of course you didn't prepare. So preparation is absolutely everything. It is For me, it is YouTube preparing. So let's go back to the ideation stage of finding the super interesting idea. So I come from the SEO world. Yep. And it's relatively simple. You just go plug your competitors' websites into tools that show you their most popular pages that are getting the most SEO traffic and what keywords they're using. And then you create your own version of whatever content they have that's performing well and hopefully to to beat them, to compete against them. I'm guessing there may be some version of that that works on YouTube with just analyzing other channels in your space and seeing what's getting a lot of views or a lot of velocity or is that accurate? Yeah, so YouTube's broken up into different what they call traffic sources. So this will be, I'm sure that's a term you'll know from Google as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, traffic source one is search. So the, you know the search bar on YouTube. If you type in how to grow, you know turnips, uh, it's going to show you a bit about how to grow turnips. But seventy percent of the views from YouTube now are from the other traffic sources. So you've, you've got lots of different traffic sources, but the main ones are what they call browse, which is like the homepage and the suggested, which is when YouTube suggests videos to you down the side and after videos. So that's where the fastest growth is. That's where the community is. Mistakenly, and it's changing now, is that originally everyone just kept going for search as a business because it makes sense, right? So same strategy as Google. But you know, when the fast growth and the fast views is in other places, it's definitely not the smartest option. And what happened was everyone kept making really specific videos that target search terms. And what hap- And when you do that, it's all about the new viewer, the new person discovering you. It's not about the return viewer. So they'll put a video out, they'll wait a few months for it to rank, it'll bring in new viewers. And then the next video they put out will be a really specific search term. So when someone watches their video on search, YouTube will take notice of that and it will start testing other content from that creator on the homepage. But when it's a super specific search query, it's not relevant or interesting on the homepage compared to everything else around it. Search query-based content is only interesting when you've typed in that exact search query and it pops up. So a lot of people try and use search and they grow big subscriber counts and then they release a video and it hardly gets any views because they're always catering to this new search audience. So that is one strategy. And there are lots of tools to help you find keywords, low competition. And the problem I have with that is it encourages you to make videos that are good enough to compete where there's no competition. It doesn't encourage you to continually improve as a creator so that you can battle your way to the top and get the fastest views. It's all about being the best in a small pool. Now, it can be good if it's a really highly searched topic, but then the competition is large again, and it's often taken up by channels who've been around for years. So search, it's a great way for people to get started to build an audience. But after that, if they want to build a really strong community, they need to think about making videos that as soon as they release it, their community see on the homepage and click on and come back. And that's a really important, for me, way to build a personal brand. 
especially if you want to sell anything, you don't want to release a video and wait six months to a year for it to rank. So someone finally sees your message, do you? You want 50,000 people to come in in a week and all see it. And that's how you sort of you can build the business. So the idea, and a lot of people do this, they look for ideas, they go on the keyword and they say, I'll make the video the low search term. That's not what I do. So if I want to find an idea, like you said, I research other people's channels. So you look for trends, you look for patterns, you look for what's getting a lot of views fast. So that might mean you need to be constantly analyzing other channels within your niche. Some niches, the competition is not very strong. So they actually do themselves no favor analyzing the competition because they end up analyzing bad thumbnails and bad titles and bad content. So they need to take a step wider. So they might go from, let's say, if they were making videos about mobile phones, they might take a wider look to the general tech niche. And then they look for, okay, what videos got tons of views quick and built this channel? And how could we put our take on it? So that might mean taking the topic and doing your own version. It might just mean finding a title that was really interesting and changing a few words in it so that it suits your niche. Or it might mean borrowing a thumbnail strategy from one of these videos that's done amazing and thinking, how can I relate that to my own channel? So the good YouTubers are on YouTube every day doing research. I just sit there on my phone on the homepage, scrolling down, looking at thumbnails and titles, what sticks out to me and thinking, okay, could I make that work for my channel too? So the educators who I generally talk to and work with A lot of them aren't going off and doing these crazy challenges like Mr. Beast, where it's like, you know, I built a desert island and all this sort of thing. It's their job to try and make educational content more clickable. So that's where ideas can come from, simply just from titles. But then how you present that idea and the story that's told, it can often be anything. And it's why on my own channel, a lot of my titles are super... I don't really tell you what the video is about. So it's either a story, which would be like, I blew up a YouTube channel as fast as I could, Or it will be something like, this wrecks 90% of YouTube channels. Because if I tell people what the flipping video is about, no one clicks on it. (laughs) So you have to intrigue them enough based around their problems. So the, the idea comes in different stages. There's the idea for the packaging and the format. And then there's the idea to then how to make that content interesting. And to me, they're they're kind of separate things. Yeah. So I guess one thing that comes to mind when I started as a blog editor. One of the things that my boss told me was, he said, actually, go buy Cosmopolitan magazine. And I was like, what do you mean I'm a blog editor? That's a, we're writing about marketing. That's a magazine for women. What possible lessons could I learn? And he said, no, listen. He said, the writers of the headlines on the covers of Cosmopolitan magazine, they have to grab a woman walking through the checkout aisle. They have that one chance to convince her to put it in her shopping cart. And they're actually the best headline writers in the world. So go buy Cosmopolitan magazine and then figure out how to use their ideas in order to write about their packaging to write about marketing content. So an article about 417 ways to drive your man wild in bed became, <laughs> became you know, 417 ways to get more clicks on YouTube or whatever. 
So it, is that some of the, in the packaging process, you're not just looking at channels in your own space necessarily. You may be looking at what everyone is doing on YouTube. That's it. Yeah. So you look in your own niche, you look slightly wider in your industry, and then you look all over YouTube. You find inspiration in the weirdest places, but it is the cosmopolitan magazine process for sure. Perfect. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so you have the packaging inspiration, which could come from your, your niche, may not. Then you have the idea inspiration or the, the topic inspiration which probably often comes from your niche. But I imagine there are occasions where some of your biggest hits may be something that no one has ever covered before. Does that happen? If you can find that yep. and you pull it off, that's like the holy grail. So if you, if you become the one that creates the trend that does well, then yeah, you'll find other people start to copy you. So probably my most viewed video is something I'd never seen anyone do before. I've seen other people do it now. But yeah, that, that, wasn't, that was just a, an idea that through researching my niche and looking for, okay, what is the most clickable topic? What is it that a certain type of YouTuber is interested in more than anything else? I established what that was. And then I thought, okay, because I know this, this topic has so much potential, I need to go to town on this. I need to do something that has not been done before. I need to break the mold and put all the effort in. And then it, luckily it paid off and ended up getting like 1.8 million views, uh, which changed my life. So there is an element there too of you want to be original. The problem is there's a lot of risk in being original. So if I look at what has been done and put my own spin on it, there's probably a strong chance it's going to do well again. If I come up with an idea that's original and spend a lot of time on it and it tanks and does rubbish, it's like, oh. <laughs> so for my own strategy, there is a mixture of what I call high-risk videos where I'm like, never seen anyone do this before, I'm going to do it. But a lot more method uh, videos that I think maybe I can trust. Because if I keep putting out content that's high-risk and could tank every video, it's demoralizing. But also, it's not a great way to grow the community. So I like to play it safe a lot and then throw in some risk as well. I guess it's kind of like a portfolio of stock, right? You have the, the high, the medium, and the low risk stock. And that can be the same with your ideas. Now, some creators just go high risk every time. But for me, that's not the desired strategy. I haven't got the stomach for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is definitely more of a roller coaster. Yeah. It, if you do it that way, and I imagine that it's one thing that as your skill improves over time, maybe your success rate with those high-risk videos also goes up. 100%. Time. Skill is the exact right word to use. I don't think people realize this. I think they think they need information to go on YouTube and they don't. They need skill. And when you built that skill... Just like anything, like if you had the skill to ride an F1 car, you would probably be a lot better than me driving a rally car, right? There's going to be things that are transferable. So you'll find that the best YouTubers out there would be able to start a new channel and blow it up really quick because they have the skill. And I wish more people understood that YouTube is not about just knowing how it works. 
It's about skill and actually realizing that most of us have nowhere near enough the skill that is required, including myself. I, I still, even though I'm, I can grow channels, I still don't think I'm anywhere near as good as I should be or could be. So I want to keep building those skills for the exact reason you just said. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that's the journey of the creator is to, to build those skills over time. I mean, if you're a total beginner and you don't have any money, your only choice is to go build those skills yourself. How much of those skills can be purchased from, for example, other editors? Or who is the type of person you would go to if, let's say, you have a quarter million dollars and you want to get started? You can buy every skill. The, the, the skill at that point would be knowing who to hire. So you'd need a strategist to come up with your strategy. You'd need a writer. You'd need a thumbnail designer. Now, I would also throw in a thumbnail strategist here because as a thumbnail designer does not understand necessarily how to get a click. They know how to make something look good to get the strategy together. And an editor. And there are a lot of people who do this. They have faceless channels. They call them cash cow channels. They find niches that maybe have high ad revenue and they systematize it so they're almost not involved at all and they get millions of views and tons of ad revenue and then they go and start another one. So you can buy the whole thing. If you had a quarter of a million dollars, yeah, that would be plenty. <laughs> the thing to be look at is, um, I guess the thing that slows it down is like who's on camera. You can get presenters. Do you want to be on camera yourself? If you want to build a personal brand, yes, you do. But then what could happen there is you could be the weakest link. So if you can't present, that could let it down. It's like a big chain. Everything needs to work together. And if one link of the chain fails, so do the results. So yeah, you can buy everything if, you, if you've got budget. So I imagine though that you're not finding these people on Fiverr that are really going to do a good job with this kind of thing. Fiverr has some gems. <laughs> it does. I've, one of my clients... He said, message me, he said, what do you think of this thumbnail? I was like, this is great. I really, he, my client had come up with the strategy, but the design on it, I thought, this is high quality. I said, who did that for you? And he said, it was a guy on Fiverr in India. And I was like, we'll keep using him. Like, he's doing some great design work there. And the same with like Upwork. I don't think people realize this. So I, I've been on the other side of this where I've been a freelancer. And the best freelancers don't apply to many job applications. Because they're experienced, they're skilled, they know what a good client looks like. So recently, I wrote a... I got fed up of you know the, the grind of trying to find people. And I thought, I'm just going to write a really detailed brief. I'm going to talk to me when I was a professional editor. And I'm going to write what I would have wanted to hear. But I did it for a copywriter. I went into a lot of detail. I used jargon. I used words like, you know, I want someone on stunts, a clear understanding of setups and payoffs and storytelling and I listed all these different words. And this guy just came out of the woodwork. I had three applications. No one applied, usually get hundreds because it was too overwhelming. You know, this reply came in and this guy wrote what must be, I would say I should have framed it and put it on my wall, his application. He used everything I'd asked, said that I wanted in his application and turned it into a story. And I hired him straight away, incredibly expensive. And I said to him, like, when he applied, he said, I reach out to a handful of people because I'm looking for people who aren't going to waste my time, you know, who, who have a big budget 
and want things done well. I can't help anyone who can't do that. So if, if you're trying to find people, you need to talk to them like you know what you're doing. I used to hate it when I'd scroll Upwork as a freelancer and it would be like, I need someone to edit my video. And that was the brief. And I was like, why would I ever reply to that? <laughs> you know, If the brief is like, we've got a long-term project with big scope for retainer, you will be given a lot of creative freedom and they make it sound exciting, you're way more likely to apply. So they are on Fiverr, they are on Upwork. Actually, the biggest problem is the way you write your brief, not necessarily the platforms because they're lurking the good ones. Then it's really looking at your job posting on a site like Upwork almost as bait to attract the right type of person. That's it. But also you want to scope them out. So let me give an example of a brief I wrote the other day. So I was looking for a writer to help on another channel. And I thought, hmm, what would a really good YouTube writer be able to do that a bad one wouldn't? And when you make a YouTube video, after a few days, this little graph loads and it shows you what's called retention. So you can see at what point in your video viewers left. Uh, you know, So it goes up and down if people are skipping around. So I've made videos in the past where I've made mistakes or I've revealed something too early. And as a result, what's happened is you see the moment I give the viewer the exact thing they cared about and they leave. So the graph goes down. So I was like, right, well, a good writer, they'll watch that video. And the second I do it, a good YouTube writer who understands it will go, that is the point that you mucked up your writing. So I, part of the application process, I put a link and I just said, the retention at one part of this video drops significantly. I want you to tell me what time it is in the video and why. And 10 people applied. I only put it out on a tweet. And most of them were writing nonsense. Like the music's a bit too loud here. Nothing to do with the writing. One guy came in and said, at six minutes, 15, you paid off the information the viewer cared about too early and all the information after didn't really feel necessary. So I would have ended the video there. So I was like, you're hired. <laughs> because that person understands absolutely everything you need when it comes to retention. What makes it tricky is you kind of need to understand how to make videos and the things to be on the lookout for to then be able to write a really good brief that attracts the right people. And that's not necessarily something you have unless you've been working in YouTube for a while. So, you know, it's tough. I guess there are two different ways to do it. I mean, what, what's occurring to me is one way to post one of these jobs on YouTube would be, would be writing a title like building a YouTube team budget of If you did that, you may get the attention of the really good people, but you would also get the attention of everyone else at the same time. Yeah, I think you would get you would get too much press with that. I mean, it'd be very appealing, and you probably bring the right people out the woodwork. But I I put a job post up once and had so many. I just put it out to my community and had so many applications, I had to hire a recruitment company to go through them all because there was hundreds. And I didn't hire anyone from all of them. I didn't ever found one that was quite right. So it's not easy. A lot of the best ones are going to come from referral, but also the best ones are just 
they have a waiting list or they handpick. So the writer that's helping me now, he said, I have one space left and I do want to work with you. I said to him, like, I've got another client. He's like, no, not interested. I'll wait for, I only wait for the right person for me. So it's kind of strange because you feel like when you're trying to get someone, you know, you've got, oh, I've got this job, it's going to benefit someone. The best ones are more like, oh no, impress me. <laughs> not the other way around, which is um, probably something we should all be thinking about a lot more is that we, we need to impress the best talent, not just think they'll be impressed by our job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, so I run smartblogger.com. It's the biggest writing website in the world. And I get asked all the time, how can I hire writers like you have? And in many cases, the answer is you can't. Not yet. Now, maybe you could get to the point where they would, but most of the best people in the world, they are literally handpicking the people that they want to work with. And if I were to refer you to them, they would actually get angry because I was wasting their time. <laughs> and so I guess there is, there are a few different stages. I mean, in the beginning, I mean, depending on your budget, you may be doing a lot of it yourself and outsourcing. I imagine the non-strategic work on sites like Upwork and Fiverr. I'm guessing that's cheaper and easier. Yeah, so I think it really comes down to your strengths and what you enjoy. I'd say that if you like the strategic side and you've got a good knowledge there, go for it. But there are people there you can find who can help. Again, that you need to, they need to show you sort of proof of their work. But the, the first hire is usually an editor for people because it's a time-consuming thing. And actually, do you know what? I, I would probably say if you had money straight away and you're umming and ahhing if you should learn editing, I'd probably say don't. Just make it so you don't ever know how to edit, but find someone who does. Because I'm still editing my videos because I'm too precious about it. And really, I need to get over that to be able to you know, save up my time and do more beneficial tasks for the business. And that happens to most of us, especially YouTubers. They get really attached to, oh, the edit, you know, no one will do it like me. And if you start off just not doing it at all and don't even learn, you've got no choice. I think you'd end up better off most <laughs> of the time. You can understand like the storytelling structure and what makes a good edit, but I think people should jump there as early as they can. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine Logan Paul worked with what Hilliard Smith. And I doubt Logan knows anywhere close to the amount that Hilliard does about editing videos and probably has no desire to understand that amount. I asked him about this, actually. I said to him, to Hillier, who uh, has been with Logan or was with Logan Paul for years. You know, Logan Paul really is a two-man operation in terms of content. It was Logan and Hillier. And I said, did Logan understand the storytelling side of things? Because editing is putting it all together, but understanding how to structure a story is really the art. And he said, yeah, he taught me, uh, Logan taught me a lot. He was like, he totally knows all of this stuff. Now, he doesn't necessarily push the buttons, but he would still understand how to edit something together. So he would just outsource the time-consuming bit and he was putting a video out a day. So it literally wasn't possible for him to do the editing. He's in the States, he'd film it, send it to the UK, wake up in the morning, the video was ready and that's how they operated for years. So 
I don't know if he ever did the clicky button bit. He probably did at some point, but he definitely understood how to film a load of content and then turn it into an interesting story. And because they didn't write stuff, really, they were doing the story in the edit, piecing together all the pieces. So from what Hillier told me, he was really, really hot on that. And I think I'd say that's, that's one of the important things because then you can start to spot who's a good editor by the choices they make, not necessarily by the flashy effects they use, but how they make viewers want to keep watching. So then if you're going to build a team, then it sounds like you would book for an editor for your first hire. And if you find the right editor, I imagine they're going to at least be able to talk intelligently about thumbnail design and strategy. Like if you have a big budget, which I imagine Logan does, yeah, then you're probably talking with your editor about all of those things in the concept planning process. I probably wouldn't based on my experience. And the thumbnail is the hardest thing. It really is. Like <laughs> I've been editing for years. So obviously I find that easier. But it is the thing that holds everyone back. Unless that editor is obsessed with YouTube and basically doing all the research that the owner of the channel should be doing, they don't necessarily do a great job of the thumbnails. So gotcha. some are, but knowing how important that packaging is, I would look for a dedicated specialist. I wouldn't just give it to an editor because that thumbnail is resulting in if you actually get any return on your investment for everyone else you hire. So don't give it to the editor, give it to the specialist, or the strategist, that bit. They could design it and probably make it look pretty once you told them what to do. So let's say you're going to post a job posting for that strategist that's doing the thumbnail strategy for this. What would that look like? I'd probably try and challenge them. I'd probably say, look, dangle a carrot first and be like, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to go with the money, but it's like we're looking for a long-term relationship and we want to be working together with a consultant like weekly, you know, set it up so that they know that you're serious. But also set it up so that they do the work because you need to say, look, here's a video idea we had. As part of this application, I want you to make the most interesting title and I want you to make the most interesting thumbnail and maybe give them a little bit of information about your avatars and just see what they come back with. Because unless they have proof that they can do it, it doesn't really matter. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean they have to show you millions of views. You know, if they're a specialist who worked in certain niches that had small views, it's more about looking at it and going, okay, I get that this channel isn't going to get millions of views, but also then looking at it and being like, you know, is that more clickable than someone else? And, and I always hire three people for one role. So I would say that in the job application too and be like, you know, you're going up against three people. The winner gets the next four. As long as they're always on time and not to a high quality, we'll then go into retainer. But you do need something to benchmark them against because especially if you don't know much about this, you might get one and go, oh, that looks good. That works. But it might not at all because you don't have, you don't quite understand what works or even looks could be. So if you hire three, I tend to find one usually sticks out a ton. And weirdly, when I last did this looking for an editor, the cheapest one was better than the one that was seven times the price. 
And I was kind of blown away by the cheap one, but the middle one I gave the work to because the quality was there. And working with them was easy. And they had systems in place to you know, make my life easier. So you only really tell who's good when you pitch them against other people. And then it becomes a lot more obvious. So that's how I would structure it, is give them a task, pick multiple people, hire one. If that doesn't work out, go to the second place one straight away. You've got something to fall back on. Excellent. Well, I feel like if we ever do a part two of this uh, of this interview, maybe we'll do an Upwork hiring special. Because it does seem like if you're past the beginner stage and if you have a budget, that some of these decisions about who to hire and the team to build around you is actually just as important as the content itself. They're going to allow you to execute. I spoke to a recruitment company and I said, start a YouTube recruitment company because there's one thing about successful YouTubers, they all are stinking rich. <laughs> like There's a lot of them and they don't even need many subscribers to get there. The guys that do this well clean up and they don't want their time wasted. They've got significantly more money than time. So they want the best. And I was like, you've just got the perfect audience there to cater to because everyone has the same problem. I have this conversation probably more now than I do about apps, anything else. <laughs> so there's such a demand for it. And I just think the person who cracks that, I'm not interested in starting a recruitment company, but the person who cracks that is sitting on a gold mine. You're giving me ideas. <laughs> Go for we're, it. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. We do that. We started doing that in the writing space. We've actually made a lot of money. And YouTube is even more lucrative than the writing space. So uh, it's possible at some point down the road. I could be interested in that. But uh, as an entrepreneur, I'm interested in everything. <laughs> yeah. So I've got to be careful about what I actually choose to, <laughs> to focus on. Yeah, I know the feeling. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for the interview, Ed. I mean, just breaking down the content production process and really getting into the nitty gritty of if you do have some money and you do, you are serious about this, how do you go about doing it to be successful? I think that's going to be massively valuable to people who their time. I mean, if you're the CEO of a company or an entrepreneur or, or even a professional, working in a six-figure job where you want to do this as a side project, your time is also massively valuable. So learning what do I, what skills do I need to build or to hire to not waste my time is a huge, huge deal. Yeah. And time is the number one problem for YouTubers. There's just not enough of it. So I, I totally agree with you there. Well, yeah. Well, hopefully this interview helps them some folks will close it up there. Is, is there anything I can do for you, Ed? Is there any place you'd like me to direct people to? How can I help you on your journey? I mean, just send them to the YouTube channel, really, if they're interested in learning and, and sort of seeing some of the things in action I've been talking about. There's all links to websites and other things that I can help with there. So that's, that's probably the best place to get started. It's just called Film Booth. <laughs> 